welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're joined by Peter Robinson from the University of Saskatchewan, which is found in Saskatoon in Canada. Peter is an English professor and the lead on a university project that's just launched an app that brings us Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales in the original colloquial English. The free app is the first edition in a planned series. The app features a 45-minute audio performance of the general prologue from the tales, along with the digitised manuscript. While listening to the reading, users have access to supporting content such as uh, a translation in modern English, commentary, notes and vocabulary explaining the Middle English words that were used by Chaucer in the 14th century. Uh, here's a brief excerpt. That hen hath hopen, one that they were a saker. He filled that in that season on a day, in soothwork at the tabard as he lay, ready to wend in on me pilgrimage to Canterbury with full good courage. At need it was come to that hostelier, well mean and twenty in company of sundry folk, the aventurey father in fellowship and pilgrims where they are, that toward Canterbury wouldn't read Now, I downloaded the app yesterday and listened along, and I thought, well, we have to speak to Peter. And here he is. Welcome, Peter. Hello, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, the app, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. Uh, why did you and your team decide to build this app? And why is it important to hear the tales as, as they were originally written? Well, there are two, two questions there. First question... Uh, the moment when we felt we had to make an app was the moment when I looked around my class and realized that some people in the class had pencils, paper, computers, but everybody had a mobile phone, and uh, which they looked at all the time. So that uh, it occurred to me and to others then that if we were going to reach people now, then we needed to put Chaucer onto an app. That was one part of it. Uh, the second part of it was we uh, wanted people not just to read the uh, Canterbury Tales, we want people to hear the Canterbury Tales. And specifically, particularly, we want people to hear a performance of the Canterbury Tales. Uh, in our own uh, personal narrative of the Canterbury Tales, we think that Chaucer wrote the Canterbury Tales to be performed at court, one tale at a time. Uh, and particularly the general prologue, which we imagine might have been presented at Richard's Court around about 1389. So a, so a performance available on an app seemed like a good way to do that. And so many, many moons ago, I did indeed study Chaucer, uh, The Wife of Bath's Tale, actually, which is obviously a very amusing one. Um, but I found that colloquial English hard to understand. How does that app help with the, the comprehension of the tales? First of all, we have a quite superlative reader, uh, Colin Gibbings, who um, was, was a student of mine, who is extraordinarily talented and has a gift for speaking Middle English as if he were, in fact, Middle English. And I think simply to hear him speak it actually sounds much, e it is much easier to understand. And uh, I've had that comment from many people that they can, they, to their own surprise, they can understand the Canterbury Tales uh, just from Colin's performance. Uh, secondly, we also put in the app uh, a translation. So 
In fact, as Colin speaks, there's a little box that moves across the screen that presents you a line-by-line translation as he speaks Middle English. So, and then beyond that, you can also choose a view that will show you a, uh, a word-by-word uh, glossary uh, and together with various textual notes. So you should be able to uh, turn the app on, start the, tra- start the speech, and then get enough information for you to be able to stand most of what's being said the first time through. Right, so you say it's a performance, and when I was listening yesterday, I, I could hear a rhythm to the audio. That's the case, right? Oh, absolutely. Chaucer's writing Chaucer in, uh, in iambic pentameter, which, of course, is uh, the meter of blank verse, which he really invented, or at least him, uh, it was instrumental in bringing that to England. So, yes, there is a very definite uh, rhythm all the way through. It is very much poetry. Uh, it's also uh, very important that we have chosen a manuscript very close to Chaucer himself, uh, possibly written by uh, a scribe known to Chaucer and maybe supervised by Chaucer. And as a result, if the spellings in the manuscript, the uh, presentation of the manuscript, I think very precisely represents how the, it should be, the words should be spoken. And then that allows you to speak the words and to maintain the rhythm. So when you were putting the script together and helping your reader um, learn the phonetics, I guess, how did you know the words are being pronounced correctly? Well, there's a long and flourishing uh, history of scholarship on this. Uh, we can, we've got a, a very good idea of what Middle English sounded like from uh, uh, analogies with other languages, from uh, a study of the history of the language. Uh, basically, it wouldn't be too far wrong to say that if you read Middle English as if it's Spanish, your pronunciation is not going to, is going to be reasonably close to how it would have been in Middle English. Um, so that's, uh, so that is a process of reconstruction. It's a little, it's speculative in some areas, but basically we have a, a very firm idea of how Middle English uh, sounded. It helps a great deal that modern English is actually directly descended from Middle English, and many things, particularly the consonants, have not changed. So we still say L and M and P and B in much the same way as they were in Chaucer's time. So I, I was surprised to hear you just mention that if it was read in Spanish, wouldn't it have been French, a closer link? Uh, or French, simply a Romance language. Uh, the, the point is really that uh, what we say, when, when we say I, uh, that should be pronounced E, which is exactly how both French and Spanish uh, would pronounce it now. So fundamentally what happened in English, that m- number of vowel sounds, long vowel sounds particularly changed. They stay, but they remain the same in, in Spanish, Italian, and French, but right. different in English. Okay, so I, I think that the word take, I heard that pronounced as tack. Tack, yeah, that's correct. Right. Yeah, so, that, so there were, that's one of those long vowels where the sound changed. So along with uh, hoose, we say, uh, we say house, Middle English said hoose. Uh, we say uh, I, middle English said E, we say, ta- we say take, middle English said taka, exactly, yes. There's, a, there's actually a pattern there. Right, so if you go to the northeast of England, people are still going to talk about the hoose. That's right. In Middle English, uh, northern Middle English, northern English in, in, in that town and a couple of others, very close to, modern, to Middle English. There are some other interesting uh, peculiarities about the history of English, which is reflected in the changes. You'll find in some, uh, some dialects of American, um, particularly uh, Boston English, preserves some character of Renaissance English, too.
Okay. Um, also, now, the, the manuscript, so y you chose one, and is it correct to say there's no one definitive text for the Canterbury Tales? Now, that's certainly correct, and actually my day job for a long, long while has been trying to make sense of all the different manuscripts of the tales. Uh, when Chaucer died, he left behind well, a messy desk, basically, a pile of fragments, because he never completed the Canterbury Tales, never put them into any kind of formal shape. So the first copies of the Canterbury Tales had to try to deduce what Chaucer's intention was and what he would have wanted to present. Um, in fact, this particular manuscript we have chosen, this is the uh, one that you see on the app, is from the National Library of Wales. It's called the Henkert Manuscript. It may well have been written before Chaucer's death. Uh, it was certainly written by a scribe who knew Chaucer and worked with Chaucer. We may even have the name of the scribe. It's been suggested that his name was Adam Binkhurst. And it's been suggested, and it's pretty probable, that Adam worked with Chaucer for some 25 years as his personal scribe. Now, so Chaucer was a man of, of many skills. Um, he did all sorts of things. Uh, how, how much is really known about him, though? Well, a great deal, actually, uh, in one respect. Um, we have more documents related to Chaucer um, than I think is true than even for, than for Shakespeare, or at least as many as for Shakespeare. An enormous range of uh, court documents, because he was, as you said, he was uh, a man of many accomplishments. Uh, he, held, he held senior positions uh, in the court of uh, uh, Richard and, uh, and of Richard's relatives from around about 30, something like, something or over 30 years. So we have something like 30 years of records relating to Chaucer, going right back to, the, to, his, early, to uh, his teen years, indeed, and then carrying right through his career. Uh, though, interestingly, although we have, so we have a massive record saying Chaucer was granted the lease of a house, he was granted a tonne of wine, uh, he was awarded £10 from the, from the Treasury, he was uh, involved in this criminal case or that case, he was a, a witness in some other case. So we have a lot of records of that, and they do testify to someone who is publicly busy, who holds senior posts uh, in the government of the day. We have almost nothing about him personally. Uh, we know he was married. We know the woman he was married to. We have no letters between them. We're left to speculate entirely on the state of their marriage. Uh, we know the names of children who appear to be his children or, or, or other characters, including one, Thomas Chaucer, who became uh, effectively Prime Minister of England in the early 15th century. So he knew, certainly knew personally Richard II, his Queen Anne, Henry IV, uh, and the entire the entire range of the aristocracy uh his wife was uh, his wife's sister was for very long the, the uh, mistress of the most powerful man in England, apart from the king and eventually married him it's funny that we know uh so much about his um his, his professional life mm. and then you compare him to shakespeare where there is still huge debates about his existence and who he actually was um and yet, uh, Chaucer was from a, from a slightly older age. Yes. Yes, that's correct. It's, it's something that, well, I think it's, it's like the fact that Chaucer held senior uh, posts, and those senior posts were well documented. They were, they were at the court, and the court had an elaborate system of recording. You know, all, pay, all payments made by the court, for example, um, paying, buying a coat, handing it, the fire, awarding for a pension, etc., etc. They were all recorded meticulously. And it's from those records that we have the greatest knowledge of Chaucer. 
uh, including a very interesting piece of detail that uh, he was commissioned to travel to France, uh, to Spain, and to Italy. Uh, and we know the exact dates of those travels. We know pretty much who he met on those travels. We have uh, official documents relating to the commissions he was given. Shakespeare was, didn't operate at that sort of level. He was much more under the radar, I suppose. Uh, we, um, so he was more or less a, a middle class, the equivalent of a merchant or a trader, not, a, not an aristocrat. Chaucer belonged or was closely affiliated to the aristocracy. So did uh, Chaucer actually make any sort of pilgrimage, which is, of course, the basis for the tales? Uh, we have no certain knowledge of that. I think it's almost inconceivable that he didn't, because pretty much everyone did. That was the, you know, if we nowadays we go to Disney World or, or Harry Potter World or something like that, uh, those days you went on a pilgrimage. Uh, it, was the, it was the package tour of the uh, 14th, 15th century. And, uh, and the pilgrim routes were widely traveled, very well organized. Uh, so you would, so one of those common, if you wanted to travel outside England, the safest and easiest way to do it was to join a pilgrimage. Um, you would pay for it, uh, but you would be then, you would be, have a guide for the whole pilgrimage. Uh, your food would be provided, your uh, accommodation would be, would, be, would be organized in advance, et cetera, et cetera. And at the time, of course, before passports, hotel chains and so forth, these were actually serious matters. Right. So you've, uh, it sounds like you've spent many years uh, working on, studying, analysing the Canterbury Tales. What is your, your work encompassed? What, what's been your mission? Well, my particular mission is to try to make sense of the manuscripts of the Canterbury Tales. So there are 84 manuscripts and four pre-1500 editions. So so for some 30 years now, we've been gathering images of those manuscripts. Uh, we've been uh, 30,000 pages of manuscripts altogether. We've been uh, uh, making electronic text, transcribing the text of those manuscripts into the computer. Then we've been analyzing the, uh, all the differences uh, between the different, uh, the different manuscripts. We've then actually been using, uh, I think this is kind of one of our great breakthroughs, um, software from evolutionary biology to understand how the various versions of the Canterbury Tales relate to each other. And that's uh, been an extraordinary success. We didn't expect to discover that software developed in such a completely different film field as evolutionary biology would turn out to be critical in understanding how the manuscripts of the Canterbury Tales relate to each other. But indeed it has been. That's been a, uh, an enormous advance in the work we do. So, so um, um, sorry to interrupt. Is that analysis of handwriting, or how does the software work? No, that what we are actually doing is we anal analyse the differences between the texts. So, for example, the first word of the Canterbury Tales. Some manuscripts say April, others say Avril. So, what we do is we uh, gather, we compare all the manuscripts word by word. We create a record of differences and similarities, and that record of similarities and differences is really uh, uh, directly analogous or even uh, identical with the kind of record of similarities and differences between species, which is used by evolutionary biology software to create, to hypothesize trees of descent. Um, so we use the same software for the same purpose, really, to hypothesize trees of descent and to uh, understand relationships between manuscripts. Okay. Uh, so, so Chaucer wrote... Uh, many other things apart from the tales. Have you also studied those works? Uh, yes, we have. Uh, I have a doctoral student at the moment who's been using the same techniques we have been using on uh, uh, Chaucer's Twilight and Crusade. 
which was the major work that he finished uh, before he undertook the Canterbury Tales. Um, and I teach Chaucer, so I, we run across the whole range of Chaucer one way or another. Um, but my, my own concentration has been very much the Canterbury Tales. So it's been interesting to see the same things happening with Twilight and Crusade. And uh, I'd be very much welcome collaboration with other scholars who would like to take other parts of Chaucer. That would please me greatly. So was uh, Chaucer considered a, a successful writer during his, uh, during his living years? Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. We have sort of very considerable uh, uh, evidence of that. Uh, there is a fam- one manuscript now in Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, which has a famous portrait of Chaucer standing before the court of the king and queen of England and all the other court is arranged uh, in front of him, and he appears to be reading or reciting or performing one of his poems. That says very clearly uh, the regard that Chaucer was held, in which, with which Chaucer was held. It's curious that Chaucer was not uh, in any sense a professional writer, I say that's curious because other writers of the time did make a living from their writing, um, by like, such as uh, the Italian author Boccaccio, or Petrarch for that matter. But uh, Chaucer did not. Uh, he was not a professional writer. He wrote in his spare time, it seems. But he, it, it, but he was acclaimed by the writers of his time. Uh, everyone who, any, even any kind of ranking, they referred to Chaucer as their master. They deferred to Chaucer. Um, he's described in other manuscripts as our laureate poet, our master poet. Um, so already within his own lifetime, he was recognized as being um, the leading poet in England. All right, okay. Uh, one final question, Peter, which we ask everybody, but what book or books are you currently reading? Oh, uh, well, I like... Uh, I've just finished an Ian e. McEwan book, The Children Act, and I'm in the middle of the uh, Ben Aronovich uh, Rivers of London uh, series which I find very entertaining. So uh, I'm looking forward to reading another one of those tomorrow when I'm flying off somewhere. So, uh, um, so, uh, so you take a complete break so, from uh, manuscripts to uh, when you're reading for fun. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I love to read about, I've just discovered, I think it's uh, Abhiran Adigan, Adigan, the writing about India. And there's some wonderful, oh, I'm looking forward to reading um, The White Tiger by him. I've read the selection day. So, uh, yes, uh, I, I love reading, of course. Eddie, <laughs> you, you, you don't do this job without loving reading. Indeed. Yeah, I've read The White Tiger. It's a good one. Ah, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. I couldn't get a copy of it before when I was in England. All right. Okay, that's all we have time for uh, with this episode. Peter, many thanks for joining us. Thank you, Richard. I hope you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it, yes. Good luck with the app. You can download the app at iTunes or Google Play. Just search for General Prologue Chaucer and you will find it. I hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you again soon.